we are going to talk about a story in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible app on your phone, you can go ahead and turn there. But as we do that, I want you to think about what are the parts of your job that you just don't really enjoy? Maybe it's a particular report that whenever this comes around, it just makes you kind of groan. Oh, I don't want to do that. Maybe it's someone in the office that you have to interact with and interface with that no one else wants to. So they send you because they know that you can handle it and you'll kind of smooth things over with that person. Maybe it is uh, just something that you don't want to do as a parent, like change a diaper and you're playing like paper, rock, scissors on who's going to get stuck with it. All right, my brother and sister-in-law used to do that all the time. And my brother always won. I don't know why they continued to play the game. Um, certain jobs, sometimes we just don't want to do it. And maybe you get to a certain age where you're like, I shouldn't have to do that anymore. Or I have seniority. And that's kind of beneath me now. Maybe my, my level, my expertise... Uh, shields me from having to do that anymore. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's way below my pay grade. You should go find an intern to do that type of job. I was once leading a youth group to a mission strip in Mexico City. I was a youth pastor in Southern California. And so we had a church in Mexico City and had some friends doing ministry down there. So we took 15 Orange County suburban middle upper class kids, their first experience outside of the USA to some of the roughest places in Mexico City. It was amazing watching them experience culture shock. It was a joy and a delight and really funny. So we go to this one place where our friends had, were doing some ministry and this site, this location, it was the city dump. And what had happened is people started kind of living and squatting at this place in the city dump, so much so that they started to build some structures and build some houses. And there began, there's, eventually there was this village on the side of this mountain that was the city dump. And so we're there, we're meeting with these, these people that are doing ministry there and just hearing all these stories, playing with kids. Uh, just understanding what their life is like. And we meet these two ladies, and they were the matriarchs of this little village, of this community. And as they're talking about all the great things that God's doing and how excited they are, they talk about this one street and how they have this desire to clean it up and to, to fix it up. And they just felt like if we could get the trash out of this one alley in, in, in town on this hill, that people would start to care about the community like they do, and they'd start to respect it, and they could bring dignity to their community. And so they look at us and they say, will you help us today while you're here to clean up this alley? And we say, of course. And I turn to these kids and I say, all right, we're going to do this. We don't have trash bags. We don't have rubber gloves. But I'm like, we're going to jump in and we're going to help these ladies and make their dream a reality. One kid looks at me and he goes, these are $120 shorts. I am not getting them dirty. And I go, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I don't care how expensive your shorts are. We're doing this. We're not going to let these ladies down. 
one kid, his hands are literally shaking as he sticks them down in the muck and the mire. And I want to just tell myself that it was dirt and it was water runoff from the fresh springs up the hill that was causing this mud, we'll call it that. I don't think that's what it was. And we're pulling baby diapers out and dog jawbones and just crazy filth and disgust. Now, why in the world would we do that? So I want to pause, and I want to kind of zoom out, and I want us to think about this series that we're doing and why we're doing this series. And actually, I want to go all the way back to Christmas. You remember Christmas and the Christmas series that we did. It was titled uh, The One, and we talked about God is searching for that lost one, that lost sheep that is not there anymore. He, he, he cares so much about that lost sheep, he's going to go out and search for it and find it and bring it back. Or God cares so much about the lost one, like a coin that was there and now it's not. And we need to search and we need to find it. Or that God cares so much about his two lost sons that he wants them to be a part of this party. He wants them to be together in relationship with him. And we talked about the one and that, you know what, God has given us a one. There's a one in your life that maybe you are the only one that can reach them, that God has given you a unique personality and a unique connection with this person, and that we can be praying for that one that God wants to reach. Now, if the one is our vision and our mission as a church, we want to seek and to save the lost, right? Then this series, the Bless series, is more like our ethos as a church, this is how we roll. This is what we do. This, these are our values as a church. And this goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. And we want to bless our community. We want to be a blessing to those around us. And this acronym starts with a B, and it's, it's be in prayer. Be a person of prayer. Begin in prayer. Prayer is everything in this model. And then we listen, we L, we listen in love with people. We, we connect with them, we care about them. We're going to hear their stories and share life together. We're probably going to do that with the E, we're going to eat together. Life is shared around the table. And that's where we're going to have these opportunities to listen to them and get to know them. And then we get to our lesson this week, and that's the first S, we get to serve them. We get to serve together. But we can't serve together until we actually know them. And we know what they need. The whole reason why we were in Mexico City cleaning up this alley is because we had a relationship with these ladies and we listened to what they needed. And so we joined them in serving their community. We're going to talk about a story today where Jesus sets the stage for service. But before we do that, we, we want to understand kind of some of the backstory. We want to set the scene for what's happening in this story. And it begins with an argument. So we're going to start with the argument. So in this story, it is the last night of Jesus before he's going to be arrested, before he's going to be crucified. And so this is like crunch time for Jesus. He's with his disciples. What's he going to do? What's, what's his final parting message with his disciples? 
Well, we get the backstory, not actually from John chapter 13. We get the backstory and this argument from Luke. Luke talks about two different instances where the disciples are arguing and where they're fighting amongst each other about who's the most important. These guys have spent two years with Jesus, three years with Jesus maybe, and they are arguing about who is better than the other one. Who is the most important? When Jesus is in power, who's his right hand man? What's the pecking order? Who's more important? And Luke tells us that one of the times that the disciples are having this argument is actually on this night. It's at the upper room. It's at this Passover meal where Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. It is his last night before he's arrested. And Luke tells us that the disciples are arguing about who is most important. Our story begins with an argument. That's the backdrop of our story. Next, we have the table. I want us to understand the table and how this plays into our story and what we're going to learn. Now, you maybe grew up in a a faith tradition where in a church you have a a table, maybe right down here up front. Uh, Maybe you've seen it in movies where there's like an altar and there's a big table and we might put some candles on it, but we might have a loaf of bread, we might have a cup of juice or wine or something, where we have the communion elements, right? The table, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper is like key, is front and center in, in our churches. Well, if you were going to sit down at my table in, in my house, you would pull up a chair, and what would that chair look like? Two different styles of chairs, both of them they, they have a back, right? You're going to pull up a chair. You're going to sit down. I don't know if you're like me. You start to get to a point where you need some back support, right? So you're going to pull up a table, get a nice little back support there. Jesus didn't have tables and chairs like that. The only people that used a chair with back support in Jesus' time were pregnant women and, and the elderly. So how did they gather around the table as they're having this Passover meal, which becomes the communion meal. What does it look like? I want to teach you a word here, and that word is triclinium. Can you say triclinium with me? Great job, okay? So this is a special type of seating, a special type of of table that by this time in history, pretty much all Jewish households had adopted this Roman style of eating. They ate in a very Roman way with three chairs, three tables, uh, almost like three couches, all pushed together. And then you would have a table in the middle where the food would go. Sometimes these were built down into the ground, so almost like you're sitting on a cushion in the ground, and then the food is there in the middle. Sometimes they are up, and it's almost like, like a daybed. It's like a big couch that you, not, you don't sit in and sit straight up. You actually lean on it. So you're going to lean on your left elbow as you recline at the table. On this 
couch bench, you would put three different people on there, and everyone's leaning on their left elbow with their legs kind of kicked out to the side. Later in John, we, we get this example, the story of John, the disciple who Jesus loved. He was probably younger than everyone else. Him having this conversation with Jesus about who's going to betray him, and it says that he leans his head against the chest of Jesus. We well, can do that because he's here and Jesus is here, and so he leans back on him, and they have this interaction, they have this conversation. So he's leaning his chest on there because they're both left elbow, laying down, reclining at this triclinium table. So that's how they eat. Now, we need to talk about some feet at this point. We, we have to address the feet. And, and to really get into this, I, I want us to consider the context of what were the disciples doing all day? How did they get to this upper room? How did, how did they get there? They, they didn't take an Uber, right? They didn't have a metro. They, they couldn't take the bus to get across town and get here. These are going all around Jerusalem. No, they, they walked, right? Now, if we were going to walk, and we're, we're in D.C., we're going to walk through the city, where would we walk? What would that look like? We're going to walk on a sidewalk, right? We have a, a dedicated path and a walking lane with concrete where, hey, this is where we're going to walk. They didn't have sidewalks then. They, they had a street, just a street. That was, that was all you needed. But there's not cars going on this street. What would be going along this street? Maybe, maybe carts? Maybe some animals pulling those carts? Maybe people walking back and forth? You, you know, those animals probably weren't potty trained either. So now you have a dusty road. Maybe it rains and you have some dirt and some mud and some other things all mixed together. And this is where the disciples are walking all day long, all across Jerusalem. They are walking in this muck and the mire. That's what their feet looked like. Now, if that was me, and I have to trudge through some stuff, I'm probably going to put on some boots. I don't have any work boots at this point in my life. I'm kind of glad that I don't really have to do that much. These might be okay. I'll wear my, my Clarks or something, my Chuckas, and, and go through the muck and the mire. But there's no boots for them. What did they wear? Think about it. Like the Jesus sandals, right? You know, like the brown braided rope sandals. Like their toes, and this is before toenail clippers, their feet are just... They're gross, and they're a bunch of dudes, so it's not good. It's really bad. But they're here at this table having this argument about who is more important, and that sets up our problem. I don't know about you if you're a shoes-in-the-house type family or not. I wish that I could get my kids to not wear their shoes in the house. We have a basket by the door, and most of the time they'll kick them off, and they should go in the basket. There's a basket there to put your shoes in, but normally it's just right in front of the stairs, so you come down the stairs and you step on shoes, and it's real annoying. But like, I, I, I like to have a clean house. I don't really want shoes in the house. Regardless of if you wear shoes in the house or not, my guess is 
if you're at the dinner table, you're probably not okay with a kid leaning back and kicking their feet up right on the dinner table right next to your salad plate. That's probably over the line, and I doubt that would be allowed. You would have them removed, and as they would normally walk into a place, instead of kicking off your shoes and leaving them by the door, you would have a servant who would wash your feet. It's not just enough to take off your Jesus sandals. There's a lot of other stank on there. We need to wash your feet before you come in and before you have a meal. Well, who's going to do that? It's just Jesus and his 12 guys, and they're all fighting about who is more important. The job of washing feet is a really low position. No one wants to do that. That's the job of a servant. That's the job of a slave. And in fact, some Jewish scholars say that it was so degrading and so menial. If you were a Jewish slave, you're a a bond servant, maybe you couldn't pay a debt, and so you had to become a slave in order to work off your debt. If you're a Jewish slave, you don't even wash feet. Some scholars would say it is so bad and it's so menial that you would find a non-Jewish person, you'd find a Gentile person, that's the one that would wash the feet of people when they come in. That's how much this was looked upon, looked down upon. This is an honor and shame culture. And so being the one that is the lowest of the low and having to wash the feet of people that come in for a meal, oh, you don't want to be that guy. That's the worst job and the worst part of the worst job that you could have. But they have a problem. Who's going to do it? They are in the presence of greatness. They are with Jesus sitting around a table. And they are so concerned with the pecking order of the disciples that no one will step up to be the lowest of the low and to be the servant. And that's where we have the crown. We need to see Jesus in this moment. See Jesus for who he really is. As we pick up the story in verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress. It's in progress. It's already happening. They're already leaning on their left elbow with their nasty feet on the edge of the couch over there, all stacked up right next to each other. The meal is in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus, he knows this is the end. He knows this is, okay, this is my last night. Everything's in progress. I just have to go through this. This is my last chance to show these guys what I'm all about. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. In an honor and shame culture, status is key. Money and power and influence, all of these things put you in this higher level, this class that says you don't have to do these menial tasks. 
And who is Jesus? He is the one with the ultimate power and the ultimate authority. And what does he do? He takes his crown and he lays it aside. And before he faces the cross, he puts on the apron of a servant. He wraps a towel around him. As he takes off his outer clothes, this is him wearing the clothes, the garment of a slave, of a servant. Uh, of a servant. He is acting out right before the disciples' eyes what it means to serve. Now, any teacher... Jesus was a great teacher. Any great rabbi, and Jesus was the greatest rabbi, you want something that's going to bring home your illustration. You want something that's really going to stand out, that's going to help these people understand what you're trying to teach. That's why Jesus talked in parables. That's why he talked about farming, and he talked about seeds, and he talked about things that they would understand, because it helps drive that point home. Now, I could come out, and I could come into the crowd, and, and I could take off your shoes, untie your, your, your laces, and take off your socks, and, and I could wash your feet. And it would be really awkward, I think for all of us, We'd be like, what is happening, and how long, is he going to do this to everyone, and like, I kind of want to go watch the football game, and like, it would just be really weird. We have to admit that this does not have the same pull and the same power, the same shocking truth in our culture that it would for these disciples. So I, I want you to think about this. Imagine you are going to have a dinner party, and you're going to have the coolest person at your dinner table. Like the coolest person ever is coming to your house for dinner tonight. I don't know who that is for you. Who is it? Don't say it out loud because we live in an outrage culture and I'm sure someone would be really upset with who you wanted to have for dinner. Okay, For my kids, it would be Mike Trout. I mean, their minds would just freak out, okay? It might be a sports star, maybe it's a musician, um, maybe it's a CEO of a company that you're like, oh, I'd love to pick their brain, be incredible. Uh, who is that for you? Just, I cannot believe that they're coming over for dinner tonight. So you get everything ready. You don't cook, <laughs> you cater like a really good place. You want everything to be perfect. And after the meal, you're finishing up dessert, you notice your, your esteemed guest, who is that person for you? They, they grab the plates and they go over to the sink. And my kids are really good at just putting plates in the sink and then just expecting the house fairies to like just magically disappear them, right? So your guest doesn't just put them in the sink, like scrapes things into the trash and not just loads the dishwasher. They're washing by hand your dishes, and, you know, meticulous, washing them, drying rack, each one just making sure that things are perfect. And you're like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Like, I'll make the kids do it. And don't. And there they are washing your dishes. And, and then they, they take the trash and they tie up the trash and they take the trash outside to the trash bin. And you're like, please don't just, it, it's fine. I, I got it. And then they're underneath the sink and they, they see the, 
the cleaning bottles and so they grab stuff and they go to the the bathroom just right off your kitchen and, and they start cleaning your bathroom and now your esteemed guest is scrubbing your toilet and you're like no my kids use that toilet please don't i'm so embarrassed this is what it's like it's so shocking it's so humbling what jesus is doing for his disciples in this moment now this could just be a really cool story about jesus being awesome and a rock star and like man that's my savior he's really cool but he doesn't end the lesson there he goes on in verse 12 john 13 it says when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i've done for you he asked them you call me teacher and lord rightfully so that's that's what i am now that i your teacher and lord have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet Hey, I set this example for you. You know who I am. You know that this is below me. You know that I'm not the one that should be doing this and serving in this way. Now that I've done this for you, this is the spirit I want you to have with each other. You started the night bickering about who's more important, being concerned about your status and your honor. Mm mm. I want you to treat one another like this. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He sets up this expectation that we would live in the same manner, that we would serve others to the same degree, to the same extreme nature. It's not just enough that you hear it. It's not just enough that you understand this story. Jesus tells us you have to do it. You have to live this out. We're going to have a moment here in, in just a second where we're going to take communion and we're going to do this meal, this symbolic meal together. But before we do that, I want to invite you to serve. I want to give you the opportunity to step up and to serve and to fill some of the gaps that we have here on Sunday morning. So you see that QR code on the seat in front of you. If you, if you scan that, if you're online with this, you're going to see in the public chat, it's going to have a button that says, fill in our gaps. And I'd love for you to take a, list at all, take a look at the list of all of the holes that we have in our serving areas here, between guest services, between Journey Kids downstairs. These are the holes that we have that we don't have enough volunteers to do everything that we do on Sunday morning, to make this happen and work. And what we're asking you to do, we're asking for two hours a month. That's it, two hours a month. Can you fill in one of those slots and say, hey, 10.30, the first and the third week of the month, I can do that. I can fill in that spot 
so that we can welcome guests into this building, so that we can help people understand who God is, so that we can fulfill our mission to seek and to save the lost. It's not just making coffee. It's not just standing outside in the parking lot. No, you are the first person that they see when they enter our property. You are the first smile that they will experience on a Sunday morning. You are the first wave and the first interaction that someone might have in their journey back to finding who God is. That's why we do this. That's why this is so important. So I want to invite you to look through that list of our serving opportunities and find something to where you can say, hey, I'll do that. Two hours a month, I can fill that gap. And step up and serve in the same manner that Jesus instructed us. Now, as you do that, I'm going to finish with a few keys to serving. As you serve, wherever you serve, whether it's here with us at the journey or in your life, uh, in your neighborhood, in your place of, of work, however you serve, I want us to keep these three keys on the top of our mind. The first key to serving, it starts with proximity. God has placed certain people around you. He has placed certain needs around you. You might not have to go halfway around the world to solve a problem because there is something right here that you are uniquely gifted and positioned to be able to do. There is someone in your family that is there that you can help. There is someone at your place of work that God has put a need in front of you. There is someone in your neighborhood. There is a need there that in your proximity you can meet. So as we think about serving, let's start with the proximity. What's around me? What can I do? The next one is the relationship. There's a reason why the B and the L and the E come before the serve. We begin in prayer. It's all about that. Then we listen and we eat with people, and we share life. And as we build that relationship, now I start to understand why we serve and do the things that we do. The whole reason why we were in Mexico City picking up trash in a trash dump in this alley was because we had a relationship with these women. And we knew the difference that it would make in their community. It starts with the relationship. And finally, I want you to pray for the divine appointment. Be mindful throughout your day. Be on the lookout. Let's be expectant that God may do something, that God may present a need, that we might run into someone. It might seem random, but we know that it's not really random because we've been praying that God would give us an opportunity to bless someone to serve someone. Let's be expectant for the divine appointment. Richard Foster, who kind of wrote the the book on Christian disciplines, Celebration of Discipline, he has this prayer that I want to leave us with. It says, Lord Jesus, 
as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. Lord Jesus, as it would please who? Not, not me, not my wants, not my desires, not my agenda and my plans. Lord, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. And may we notice it, may we be ready to respond in those moments.